asked my guests this week some awkward questions because I feel strongly about caring for the people who listen to my podcast. I know you're not showing up to listen to a softball interview with someone trying to sell something. I think we're all allergic to that at this point. In this episode, we dig deeper into authentic relationships and discipleship in our faith communities that goes beyond measuring butts and seats, budgets, and baptisms. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. A couple of years ago, I made a decision that changed my life and my relationships. I started going to counseling, and I'm so glad I did. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. They are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Before jumping into today's show, I wanted to let you know that I recorded some bonus audio of what it's been like to navigate this space filled with people who've been harmed. It's something that's been on my mind and I wanted to share it with you. That audio is available for my Patreon community and you can join us there at patreon.com slash untangled faith. That's patreon.com slash untangled faith. Earlier this year, I had a great conversation with Becky Castle Miller about discipleship that goes beyond an authoritarian approach. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Caesar Kalinowski about authentic discipleship that answers the question of, There must be more than just showing up to a building a few times a month, singing some songs, listening to a sermon, and then going home to live our lives for the in-between days. Listen into my conversation with Cesar Kalinowski. I am thrilled to introduce you to a, this, a new friend of mine for the podcast. I have been stalking some of the interviews that Caesar has been doing on different shows to learn some more about him. I would love to have Caesar introduce himself to you, my listeners. Who is Caesar? And why is he so darn interested in discipleship? Take it away, Caesar. Well, I'm just a regular guy who grew up in the Midwest being uh, taken to church every Sunday morning and not 100% sure why, what, what we were trying to accomplish. It seemed primarily focused on our afterlife and, uh, and trying to have behavioral modification and sin management between now and our afterlife. So um, I'm very interested in discipleship that happens and occurs in everyday life and as part of our lifestyle, because I really have come to believe with all my heart that uh, Jesus didn't die on a cross and give his life so that we could sit in rows, uh, largely in silence for about an hour, hour and a half, 1.4 times a month or whatever the yeah, number yeah. is. And so as, as my wife and I and our family, and now a lot of people and friends have learned to make discipleship a lifestyle. What freedom. And, and yeah, uh, yeah. we love it. Somebody has said that, you know, all like of these things that people are passionate about is 
autobiographical. So tell me what it is. I am sure there has been some experience that you were like, hey, maybe this isn't working the way I want it to, and I want it to work better. Or you just saw it so work in such a great way that you wanted to dedicate more of your life to being about discipleship. What was that for you? Life was always pretty involved in faith for me in very different ways. And, and around the time uh, that my wife and I had our first son, we had a pretty big awakening to like, hey, whoa, this is really something yeah. God's calling uh, us to make a little bit more serious about life. But what we knew from up, my upbringing was just sort of church attendance and then try to, you know, like I said, try to sin less you know, during the week and, and uh, sign up for as many church programs as you can fit into your schedule. And I started, though, in another sort of area of my life, Amy, I started traveling quite a bit overseas doing what, you know, the church we call missions work. I think all of yeah. life is missions. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but we started spending, I started spending a lot of time in places like Sudan and Sierra Leone and Burma and all a lot of places where there was war going on and great Christian persecution. And so many of these people had nothing. I mean, like no things. We'd, we'd, we'd go trip after trip and they're all wearing the exact same clothes or not. No clothes, you know. And they the church didn't have buildings and programs. They didn't have cameras and lights in action and all that. But they had such joy. And I felt like when we were there, we were the church. But then I would come home and by the miracle of flight, you know, 24 hours later, I'd be driving up the big old driveway to the church campus that I was a pastor yeah. at. And I was head of production, so it was lights, camera, action. And it was like, okay, I love our church, but now I feel like we're putting on church. Yeah. Like yesterday and for the last three weeks, we were being the church. And so I started just wondering, like, do we get to live like we live on these trips with people, like here at home? And I'm reading the book of Acts, and it looks like that's how the church used to live. And these people in the church live this way. And and we decided to follow God out to the West Coast here. I live in Seattle now from the Midwest originally. Yeah. In the Seattle area now. And turns out, yes, we do get to live uh, our life like almost like missionaries, but here, everywhere, anywhere we live, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that experience of seeing and experiencing that so richly causes us to desire to live, live that out every day, not just sort of on Sunday mornings. Yeah. And, uh, so you right. saw a difference between production and yeah. discipleship. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the you same know, thing. For us, it was performance. I mean, okay. it was, I was head of production it's thousands of people. I had the keys to the to the uh, to the spaceship, if you will, you know, because uh, I was head of production, and so and, and then I also also was one of the teacher preachers there, and so you know my head would be up on the fifteen foot screens as well on Sundays, and it was uh, I didn't hate it or anything, but it yeah. just got it got harder and harder to want to sort of do church versus be the church. Yeah, and that's not an indictment on our Sunday experiences and all that. But in in my experience, though, it kind of stopped there. And then as the staff, especially, we would spend all week just planning for assessing last week's Sunday, next week's Sunday. Oh, by the way, Easter's coming. Oh, by the way, Christmas is going to be bigger this year than ever. Right. And I was head of production. So it's like, oh, uh-huh, yeah, right. You know, yeah, yeah. and it was multiple services every week and uh, some weeks, many, many. If it was a holiday weekend or some special promo going on and it was just like, OK, Wow. How does your average person experience their faith and the beauty of the gospel 
in everyday life. And I don't even know how to apply it, to be honest with you. I don't know how the gospel speaks to marriage and parenting and gender and vacations and, you know, all those things and retirement and all that. I really only know how it deals with my sin problem, I guess, and my afterlife upgrade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's got to be more, right? And, and yeah. God was leading us to, to understand, oh, yeah, the gospel speaks into every part of life. Yeah. Now the kingdom has come. I'm guessing that you are not about to advocate for everybody to leave their churches and just be on a mission trip or, or be missionaries overseas or abroad. Maybe you are. Maybe that's the spoiler that's coming. Um, you mean advocating for people to leave their churches? Yeah, yeah. What, no, what, not at what, all. In reality then, especially if people are like passionate about people following Jesus, they, personally they want to follow Jesus and they want to help others follow Jesus. Maybe they're in leadership at a church and all they know how to measure is attendance and, you know, new members, baptisms, and the number of people that are signing up for Bible study and coming to events. We call that Uh, the three B's. Yes. Tell me about this. Well, well, in my experience, both as a church leader at a big church and been part of many, but now having coached so many leaders, we call the three B's. You hit two of the same of our three. It's it's butts and seats, you know, like attendance. That's our big jam. Um, budget, you know, are we is giving going up? You know, how's that budget? You know, we're never quite making it. And then building size. We're always adding on and needing to have a building program and, you know, all these types of things. And I just don't see that that is any of the metrics that Jesus used to measure or Paul or any of the other disciples who made disciples i didn't i didn't see any of those as the as the measurements as the metrics now i think we can find uh, value and, and understand that but unfortunately when we primarily measure attendance butts and seats then we and i think it's been a big part of what's led to then we've missed the mission the mission is to make disciples of jesus and we define yeah. that amy by saying discipleship's this process of helping others them helping us move from unbelief to belief in light of the gospel, in every area of life, not just about our afterlife or our yeah. atonement needs, but about every area of life, moving from unbelief to belief or from lies to truth or, you know, right, in every area of life. Well, if that's the case, and I believe it is, I see that throughout scripture and what Jesus did and modeled, then we're going to have to do every area of life together. And I think yeah. when we started making the big deal was that a Sunday attendance number it certainly was for me growing up. It was always like uh, literally charts with stars on them. And you were like better and more loved if you made it all the time. Like yeah. you've gone a hundred Sundays without ever missing. So here's a little special, you know, gift for you. Or like, whoa, you know, or you brought this many friends to church on, you know, March to Sunday school in March, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, what happens, we started missing, hey, but discipleship happens in everyday life. It's not a set of classes. It's not six lessons, nine lessons. It's not a 101 class, 201, 301, 401, oh, boop, now you're discipled. It is life on life, life in a community and life on mission. And you, you just don't get that sitting in rows, largely in silence and then shooting out the door back to my American dream life. It, yeah, it just, that sounds harder to measure. Is there a way to measure that? Like, how do you know as somebody that maybe is leading a, a discipleship ministry, like, yes, they're like, yes, I resonate with this. Now, how, how do I 
how do I quantify it? Can I, can I put it on a spreadsheet is what I'm asking. Well, I think parts of it we can, and I don't think that measuring attendance is horrible or evil or anything like that, but you know, I've actually created uh, and it's a bit of an ongoing list, but I share it with others and I can make it available to listeners if you'd like, uh, the 10 benchmarks of a healthy church that's actually on mission, on God's mission, not the mission to grow their Sunday service, but like what the, Jesus gave us, which is discipleship. Right. And you start looking at things like, uh, are, are, do we see people moving from far from God to uh, walking with Jesus and, on, and moving on to leadership in this local church? So indigenous leadership mm-hmm. occurring. That's a, because if that one's happening, then probably a whole lot of the other things that we're hoping goes well is happening, right? If someone could come to faith in our community and now they're a part of leadership versus, well, we hire out every, why don't you just raise up disciples who move to maturity? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, because we don't really disciple very well. Um, Things like are our people growing in what we call uh, gospel fluency? In other words, not not Bible literacy, learning lots and lots of facts about the Bible, but a fluency, like the language of the gospel and how it speaks into everyday life and how we experience the gospel in our marriages and with neighbors who maybe are going through hard times, divorce, sickness, uh, you know, abuse issues that are coming back up in their life, or they've been harmed by the church or all these things. How does the gospel, good news, speak to that? Not good advice, but good news. Yeah. Um, are, are we, are, do we see our people in our community, whatever the size, opening up their homes and their lives increasingly to not yet believers to do life with them to, and are yeah. they treating them like family, not like guests and things like that. So we've, we've got sort of the 10 benchmarks of that and a little self-assessment that people, if they, if they want, maybe later we can give them a link or something. But, um, yeah, we just started realizing that to grow a healthy church that made disciples who actually make disciples, mm-hmm. we needed to start measuring some different things. So tell me, what do you think when people picture discipleship, what are some misconceptions do you think that is out there when it comes to that? Great question. I think uh, most of us have uh, this because this is what we were taught or handed as discipleship. If it's happening is a, is a series of classes and it's really primarily about passing on a lot of head knowledge. That's a misconception. What's a better way? I think a better way is what we see Jesus modeled. And then when he sent his disciples to go make more disciples, they did the exact same thing is they did life together. They, the church was never a building. You know, we say we're going to church. Well, yeah. you can't go to church. You either are the church, <laughs> that's people, or you're not, right? Um so I, I, there was there was never this service that was referred to as the church. The church, the words used is oikos. It's a Greek word that means extended family. Yeah. So the church that met at Amy's house, you know, her extended family. Well, who's that? Well, it's some of her kids who are still in the area and it's her best friend and it's a, cu- a couple people she works with and, and it's a few other neighbors. And they're all learning to walk in the ways of Jesus and move from unbelief to belief in increasing ways. And I think that that's the only way discipleship happens is with the gospel at the center, not the church attendance at the center or just head knowledge, the Bible knowledge at the center, but a fluency of the gospel in a community because it takes all of us to make a mature disciple. Think about this, Amy. We're called to make disciples of Jesus, not of Caesar or Amy. Yes, yes. And so if I just disciple someone one-to-one for a year or two, well, they're going to probably most resemble me spiritually. 
And while that might be an upgrade, meaning they're learning some stuff, yeah. I'm not exactly like Jesus. Ask my wife, ask my family, our extended, right. our, our, our oikos. Like I'm, God's changing me and growing me, but I'm not exactly Jesus here. Right, and, right. And what happens, the, Jesus says the church is the body, his body. We need all the body parts coming into a person's life, different experiences, uh, giftings God's given them. I need all of that rubbing up and, you know, and pushing on my unbelief and selfishness and preference. And then the third part of that, so gospel and community, is then, and then I need to be taken out on mission. I need to be, we need to have a focus on who else, who other, what other kids does God have that is far from him and doesn't trust dad and doesn't love dad, doesn't understand Jesus' great love and sacrifice for them. Like without that mission, we become very self-focused. And that, that's part of that problem, again, of a gospel that's primarily focused on my afterlife, my happiness, my personal quiet time, my joy, my peace, my, you know, eternity. Well, then it becomes all about me. And yeah. I just don't see that in scripture. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't list all the things, your upgrade. It was all about his right. father's glory and understanding and showing people what dad was like. And and when we live this way and we start looking for who else doesn't know dad, that's the mission part of it. And who else needs to be discipled or gets to be discipled and walk in the ways of Jesus. That's how we get to maturity. You have to have the gospel at the center. It has to be in community. Can't do community sitting in rows, right, silence right. once a week or 1.3 times a month or whatever the national average is now. And if you don't have the outward impulse, to, like who's next, we, we get these small groups in our churches and, and most are very, very uh, self-focused. Mm-hmm. If I ask people, who or what's your, you know, the focus of your small group? And they're like, well, us, us getting to know each other and us having a good time or us studying the sermon notes again or whatever. But what about your neighbors? Well, this wouldn't make sense to them. They don't go to our church. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Now for a quick break. Now back to the show. What you said about not, uh, about resisting discipling someone into becoming like ourselves is so fascinating to me. I just shared an episode today where I interviewed Becky Castle Miller. She's working on her PhD under Esau McCulley right now at Wheaton. And she said that she had served for several years overseas at an international church in the Netherlands and that she learned so much from being out of her context Mm -hmm. and realizing that in many churches, and you can tell me if this um, resonates with you or not, if you've seen this, often we can think about discipleship as turning somebody into something. They end up being discipled more into looking like us and our culture or or wherever our church ends up being. And we forget that really the end goal should be about pointing them to Jesus and helping them look more and more like Jesus. Does that resonate with you or not? Very much so. And I'm going to say something maybe controversial here. Okay, Go for it. Is this is my... Uh, problem, or I think our challenge with this uh, this grand idea that has been seated in the church of one to one discipleship. See, when oh, discipleship yeah. became like back to your first question, when discipleship sort of became primarily about passing on head knowledge, or these nine lessons, or these four lessons, or this book that we take everybody through, well, then the easiest way to do it was, well, I don't want to have to run classes that no one shows up and prepares for. We'll just get everybody to, get, you know, everybody gets one. And it's like, okay, I don't think there's a problem with that. We see Jesus preach to the crowds 
right? He taught those who followed him around, but he discipled those who he did life with, who would do life with him. But sometimes that was with all 12. Sometimes that was with three. Sometimes it was just with one, kind of like our family life is. You know, our family, we call it Team K. It's very close, but we don't do every absolute everything together. And my wife and I, Tina, doesn't, we don't take, <laughs> we don't take attendance, you know? I, Hey, how come, how come Justine's not here? Well, she had to work today, you know, like, oh, well, that's, I don't know. She's not faithful. Like what she's working, you know, like whatever. And, yeah. and so when, but when discipleship became primarily a passing on of the minimum requirements of head knowledge to be a Christian, no, that's not how you be a Christian. Um, it's trust in Jesus. Um, then, well, let's do it one-to-one. And then it became something that starts and stops. And I, I don't see that. I think discipleship is all of life. It's a, it's a moving from unbelief to belief increasingly in, yeah. in light of the gospel in absolutely every area of life. I, I, I'm getting to be an older man here, and I, I have a long way to go. There's still a lot yeah. of unbelief as evidenced by my words, actions, inner life, all that yeah. about yeah. who really is God and what's he accomplished in and through Christ and what does God say is true of me? Yeah. So much life change and transformation happens in healthy discipleship. Yeah. And I think that's one reason why we have seen, uh, I don't want to call everything a spiritual thing, a spiritual attack, but we've had some really heartbreaking news about unhealthy churches and unhealthy leaders in our churches. And a lot of my listeners have walked through these experiences. They want to learn about Jesus. They want to become yeah. more like him, but they're worried and a little bit reticent about entering into like an official discipleship relationship, especially if it's like with a one person type thing. Talk to me about how that can, how, how you would maybe encourage a leader to be, to handle somebody that has dealt with some really deep trauma in their churches to encourage people to, to come close to Jesus while also, you know, handling that tricky situation where these people are just not sure. Yeah. And unfortunately, Amy, more, it seems like more and more people feel that way. They have yeah. had, you know, weird situations either personally or they've witnessed them or they know others do. And it, and, and it has eroded trust. Yeah. I think also there is a, I'm hearing that there's a deep sense of uh, added to that maybe wondering about the trust issues. Um, there's also this growing sense of, is this all there is mm -hmm. really? It's like, is sitting here singing some camp songs that aren't as good as what I hear on the radio most of the time, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. You know and, and then hearing maybe a great message, but not, you know, nothing that if I was just to reproduce that I couldn't, but if I could reproduce it as good as the pastor, my neighbors wouldn't even understand most of it, you know, cause it's, yeah. it's kind of yeah. in a special language. You add that all up. And, and what we have found is people are, really dying for relational peace with others and to find a safe place to be part of a family and a community that way. And that's exactly what you see the church in the first, you know, in the first century is in, in, in much of the world. And that's what we're advocating and what we, my wife and I teach and coach to with others. And we, we coach as a couple, we coach others, but yeah. our, our spiritual life and discipleship happens in our oikos, our extended family with our kids and with what we, we, refer to as people of peace. In other words, people who are just leaning into the family and we're mm -hmm. treating them like family and they're around all of it, all of life, how we talk about God and study the word and talk about, 
you know, our faith and challenges and they see us fight and forgive. And when a person is invited into that appropriately over time, I'm not saying boom, yeah. like join our family, yeah. but like when, you know, like we do happy hours in our neighborhood, that's a big thing. You know, we do a happy hour. Well, people come out, you know, and they have a little beverage of choice and some appetizers and they bring a few things. They go, well, oh, these are really cool people. And then maybe after a few times of that, you're like, I would love to get to know you and your spouse and your kids better. You know, like, could we have you guys over for pizza night, you know, or something like that? Sure. And over time, trust is built appropriately. Yeah. And, and we even help, we, we help train people on how to even do this, you know, because yeah. it seems like we've lost this art of friendship and being good neighbors and all. Um, and, and what happens is, is you find these people, not everybody, but God has them for every one of us, these people who are kind of leaning in and they're like, you know, Amy, I, I like you, you know, it's like, and your family, the way you guys roll. And I'm really intrigued by how your kids have grown up this way. And they're so, they're so full of life and engaged and respectful and they seem to like you still. And that's not our experience. And I want to, I want more of that, you know, yeah. and that's exactly what you see happening in the Bible. And it wasn't everybody's front line of defense was like, well, come to Sunday service with me. You know, it was like, yeah. it was come to the table with us and experience the gospel in action. And, and I think that needs to be, gets to be more and more of how the church says, well, how do we help people near or far, really hurt or afraid or lacking in trust or the ones who trust? How do we begin to help our people live this way and treat more and more people like family? And maybe, you know, God's got a lot of kids and some of them are mm -hmm. far from dad. They don't trust dad. They don't trust dad's other kids very much. But how do we find those who God gives us, like we said, these people of peace who are kind of leaning into relationship and invite them into the circle of our life. Well, part of that means we we have to model that life as leaders. We have to open up our homes. And this is the big rub, Amy. This is what we bump up against every uh -oh. day. <laughs> People hear, you know, what we talk about. They hear my podcast. They, they read our books and they go, this sounds beautiful, but... I'm just too busy for that leading mm. programs. And there's no way my wife's having people over for dinner, you know, every Thursday night or, you know, twice a week or something like that. There's no way, you know, I'm like, well, there is a way we get to, but we've built our lives primarily around us and our comfort and our preference and my schedule, my time, me, 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 mine. And, and it's actually, it's a very stressful way to live because you're having to monitor everything and who's in and who's out. But, when you sort of decide to open up your life and just treat everybody the way you treat your own kids or your sister or whatever, it's easy. <laughs> and because yeah. you're just living like, hey, we're having dinner anyway. You all want to join us? Okay, great. Oh, didn't work out? Okay, great. We're eating either way. <laughs> you know, we eat every night, turns out. So yeah, we find that that's a much more natural way to live. And uh, small is big. And slow is fast, but multiplication like this wins every day. Every church in the world right now, every church member, uh, who anybody who's going to a church, whatever, every church is all worried about decline in attendance and no one's coming anymore and the kids aren't here and all the college kids don't want to be around. And your church numbers could double if that's your big metric. Next week, if just everybody in your church found one person apiece, in other words, one person or couple who kind of leaning into their life, they like them, they know they're Christians, they're they're, they're not freaked by that and just started inviting them to the table more and inviting them into the life of Christ yeah. that they're working out and living. Boom. The church doubles. Now, maybe not Sunday attendance, but the church, the, the rings yeah. of relationship, just like we see in scripture. Yeah. We, we would double, triple the church by next week. And are we okay with that? 
are we okay with the church doubling? Even if it doesn't mean all the bees that we measure. Right. Yeah. Like, well, is that okay? That's you're a bit of a cynic here, Amy. <laughs> um, I have seen I am, many. I am. Here's, yeah. here's the questions I get from pastors. Well, great. This all sounds great and everything, but how, where do they tithe? You know, uh, this all sounds great, but what if they start doing communion at home and they're not doing it here under our auspices? I'm like, yeah. you mean like Jesus told everybody to do every time you have a meal, kind of remember me, use yeah. basic elements and do that. Oh, no, 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 no. It's got to be the way we do it with the little plastic cup and waver and we have to anoint it. And like, I, I don't find that. I just don't find that being the yeah. only way we get to do it. But yeah. those kinds of fears and control and authority start to creep in. And they always have. Even Jesus said, like, don't live that way. Don't top down this. Yeah. This is family. Don't top down that. Like that's what that's what the Romans do. Authority by title and yeah. you know, position. Don't don't live that way. That's not how the kingdom works. You said a word, several words that stuck out to me. One is invite. I love that. I think that is the antithesis of the the worst stereotype of discipleship where it is imposed upon someone like you have shown up at a church and somebody has said, I am the leader of the women's discipleship. And I noticed that you weren't attending the women's retreat and you don't have a relationship. You have no like agency in this, this relationship and you haven't invited this. I mean, somebody didn't invite you into this relationship with them. And you certainly didn't say, Hey, Susie, I would love for you to speak into my life. <laughs> I love that word invite because it gives people a chance to say yes or no. Thoughts yeah, on that? It does. We we actually, Amy, we talk a lot about that. We do in our in our coaching. We one of the things that we teach to and we speak to a lot is um, something that we've learned along the way. Um, we, we saw Jesus perfectly calibrated something. We, here's the words we use. You could use any words, but invitation right. with challenge. Okay. Now yeah. the word challenge sounds like, oh, poke in the chest. Like, hey, Amy, stop doing that or start this. No, it's it's invitation, increasing access to you, your life, your thoughts, your time. You, he, he perfectly calibrated that with the challenge of the next relational step. Yeah. Come and follow me. Or you know, you've heard it said, but I say, for those who have ears, let them hear what Jesus is saying. Hey, I know you were raised thinking this is what God was about, but what if it was this, right? Yeah. And and when you see how Jesus made disciples, it was he he was always ratcheting up both. We say, you know, he was he was banking, and we get to bank invitation, time, access, trust, and then eventually we can quote spend it by going, hey. You know, like I was just saying, like say someone comes over for, you know, appetizers or a happy hour or whatever, desserts or something like that. And so that's an invitation and access to our time. And, and instead of treating them like a guest, we treat them like family. We open up our home, our lives, our hearts, our story. And then maybe the next appropriate quote challenge would be, hey, we'd love to get to know you and your family and your story a little bit better. Would you guys be up for dinner anytime, you know, maybe on a weekend or something like that? Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, hey, thanks for coming to our, you know, our open house tonight. Um, you guys want to go on vacation next week with us and we'll split a condo? <laughs> like, yeah. whoa, too much challenge. Or, yeah. or I've never met you before. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna knock on your door and invite you to a nine-week thing we're doing at our house, you know, a so-and-so course. 
you're like, well, I don't know you. Why would I do that? <laughs> Even yeah. if I was a Christian, I'd say no, because I don't, maybe you're wacky or something, you know, Jesus constantly calibrated this. And so we teach that too. How are we doing at calibrating invitation in people's lives, access to us yeah. with the next appropriate level of relational movement and change? You know what I mean? Like what's that yeah. next challenge up the slope relationally? And this applies to our marriage. This applies to our kids, you know? And we, we have a whole lot of teaching on that that we do. And people's eyes open up like, that's why that didn't work out. Or that's why I'm having so much problem with my teenager. It's all challenge. I'm, the only time we talk is what they've done wrong or they didn't clean their room or did you get your homework done? Where's that mm. invitation? Where's that fun? Where's that time of rebuilding the trust levels up and fun? And it, well, don't have anymore. Or maybe it's that way in your marriage. Or some people think, I got to get everybody saved. So as soon as I meet them, it's a little green booklet. It's a big invitation to this. It's that. <laughs> yeah. and if they're not interested. I'm like, on to the next. Yeah. Well, that's all challenge. Like, where's the invitation? Yeah. Jesus, and it feels so it, transactional. It feels yeah, like, it, that's well, a good I word. checked the box off. I discipled somebody. I, I, you know, asked one more person. I did my person. I did my one person. See yeah, there? I did it. Well, listen, and the truth is discipleship, if we did it as good as Jesus did, yeah. it would be three and a half years with the same group of people, and we'd be giving them pretty much all day and every day. We'd give our lives up. We'd give our lives up. So this idea that we could somehow, Jesus took three and a half years as Jesus, as the son of God, both son and man, you know, man and, and God, uh, he did it full time, three and a half years. And in Matthew 28, it says at the ascension, as the 11 who were still alive watched him going up into the clouds, it said some of them still didn't believe. Mm. Go look that up. It's crazy. So not even all of them were real, I don't know yet. You know, they seen the cross. They saw the resurrection, put their whole fingers in his holes. You know, like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And somehow we think we're going to do it either just to sit and listen to the sermons, which is what most churches assume, or 101, 201, 301, 401 class, or maybe mm. we're, we're going to go nine weeks topically, you know, like how, if that could do, why didn't Jesus do it that way? Mm -hmm. If one well, more good he, sermon, well, he would probably, have Caesar, huh? he would have, if he had the technology, if he had just had PowerPoint and a big stage, <laughs> if he, you know, he may have been the God of the universe. But... And there again, please, I don't want people to hear like, so everything our church is doing is wrong. No, it's just, it's not the full picture of you're what saying, Jesus modeled and gave us. Bigger. Yeah. And that's why, you know, like our ministry and the podcast is called Everyday Disciple because yeah. we feel like that that is what we get to be. That is what Jesus modeled. That is what he calls us to. And I'll take it even further. I believe it's what we were created for and saved into. Mm -hmm. Not saved from, but saved into. It's like, yeah, you get to live my life now, which is part of how God's filling the world with his glory. Jesus mm -hmm. is the glory of the Father, it says. He promises to fill the world with his glory. Paul called it the mystery revealed. What's the mystery revealed? Oh, it's that God's going to fill the world with his glory. In other words, what he's like through humans. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's going to save them and put his own spirit in them. And they're going to go out and show others what he's like. And more disciples will make more disciples. And that's how the world's getting filled with his glory. Like I said, Paul called it the mystery revealed. <laughs> yeah. So you said you said this word a couple times. I wrote it down. You've got a sign behind you that says family. It sounds beautiful. This is Amy, the cynic, speaking for the cynics again. Okay, here we go. <laughs> um, because I, I like steward these listeners that that are struggling, and they're like, I am worried 
Caesar, that you, that this family thing that you are extending to me is conditional. In what way? What if I don't live up to XYZ? Am I going to lose this family? Well, a lot of us have uh, not great family experiences. So like yeah. even when we talk about family, it's not uncommon, Amy, for people to go, that doesn't sound inviting to me. Yeah. Like our, we didn't eat together much. And when we did, it was like a war zone. And that's yeah. why I don't really do Christmas or Thanksgiving even with my family. Or we do it, but it's more like tolerate, you know, we're tolerating each other's presence for the yeah. minimum amount of time and out of here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, so we've learned to quantify that or qualify that a little bit. Say like when we, when we talk about family and this is what we're trying to become increasingly, and we'd love your help (laughs) is a a healthy family. One who has God as their daddy, their Abba father, Jesus is their brother in Mm -hmm. Hebrews. He says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Oh, what? You know? So we have God as our father, Jesus is our brother, and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, God's own spirit, the power that raised Christ from the dead. And when God created us in his own image and says, you're mine, that's, you know, who you are, you're, you're, you're part of this family, that's not a do to be, that's a, we get to be mm-hmm. because of what Jesus has done. That whole thing of this, is this qualified? Like, how do I lose that? What do I have to do to maintain my status? That's that's the enemy. That's the beast. This idea mm-hmm. of do to be what you do. If you do this, Amy, you'll be a good Christian. If you do this, you'll get these letters after your name, after you put in enough years mm-hmm. of college. If you do this, this, and this, and you do these grades, or do to be can also be don't to be. Christians yeah. don't do this, and Christians don't do that. And that's how you please God. But yeah. that's all a lie from the enemy. I actually think that's the beast that scripture talks about in, in you know in our apocalyptic books. Yes. The beast is, no, no, no. What you do equals who you are. Your value, your identity comes from your doing. That's the beast. Our identity flows right from God, Trinitarian identity, Father, Son, and Spirit. We're part of his family of missionary servants. That's who we are, not because of anything we've done. My kids are not Kalinowskis because Mm -hmm. of anything they've done. Mm -hmm. They were born Kalinowskis. They were born loved forever. Nothing they can do will ever stop that love. They don't have to earn it. They never have to ask to come over. That's the kind of family the church gets to be. I think by God's grace, that's how our family lives. And that's how we help lots and lots of other families and pastors seed that into their own life and then into their church as well. People are just, they're dying for that, Amy. They really, really are. And all you can do is offer, invite, like you said, and taste and see. Like, hey, come and hang out. I mean, that's our secret weapon is Team K, our family. <laughs> Come and hang out with the family a bit and you're going to go, I love hanging with this family. Your kids are amazing. Our kids are all grown. They're all in their 30s now. Yeah. But hey, they love God. They love people. They're our best friends. Now I've got four grandkids. They they just think grandma and grandpa hung the moon. You know, they love yeah. us. You know, it is the most fun life you could have. But it's not just us. It includes all kinds of other people that are sort of honorary family members and they know it and they it's as evidenced by they just come on over, walk in the door, they open up the fridge, they, you know, they're just here, they're a part of it whenever they want to need to be as we invite them to things. 
it, and it's not this big free for all. It's not like the house has just got trillions of people floating yeah. in and all. It's just our family life, but we live open door and we, you know, and we try to treat people like family. Not everybody accepts that, but yeah. a whole lot of people, more than we can probably even be with, do. <laughs> that is bad. That's I why like how to, you know, describe that as not something you have to do, but identity that you actually have. Like you yeah. are family. Yeah, and that's true of you. That's not going away. Paul says in scripture that that we all bear the same last name because mm-hmm. we all have the same father. And by the way, he wasn't talking to Christians there. Oh, I know wow. we've got a big, huge who's in and who's out, you know, component to the church at times. And I have this discussion with lots of people and they're like, well, there's this one verse though. You know, you can be the father of the devil. It's like, back up a little. Jesus is saying, when you live this way, it's as if your father is the devil, yeah, not yeah. your true father who created you in his own image to be like him, it says in, in Genesis. So uh, this, this, I just, you know, if anybody takes anything away from our discussion today, Amy, it would be, I would say it is this, don't believe the do to be lie. Yeah. The do equals be lie. It's because of what Jesus has done. We get to be who we were created to be. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to prove that. There's, there's, you know, there's not, you know, isn't it beautiful? God says that he has chosen to put our sins away and remember them no more. They're not only forgiven, but he has chosen to forget them. Meaning what sin? God's not going, oh, have you met Amy? My daughter, Amy? She used to do this and back in college that, and even sometimes she still does this, but I forgave all that. God goes, what sin? I'm crazy about Amy. Have you met Amy? <laughs> you got to meet her. I'm nuts about her. And, and, and that's hard for us to, to grasp because even when we forgive others, we, it's still on the list. Yeah, I'm, I know this guy for like since college or since high school and a couple times this, but you know, we got past it. I love him. Why are you still talking about it? <laughs> you know? yeah, God's, yeah. God's chosen to say like, what's sin? You're not the person in God's mind who used to dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Or, you know, or I, yeah, oh, I had to hang on this cross for that. You know, like it's all been forgiven and forgotten. Jesus says it is finished. Yeah. But when we start to live that way in light of what God says is true of us, so much freedom. Yeah. So much freedom. That sounds lovely. I love that not being obsessed with gatekeeping and that the work is done. Let's open the door. Let's just get out of the way so that people can see Jesus more clearly and we can hopefully reflect Jesus to each other as we grow more in becoming like him and our spiritual formation. Yeah. I have loved having this conversation with you. Thank you for letting me be cynical a little bit. Thank you for I was, being willing I shouldn't to... use that word. It's not cynical. I think no, it's real. I, I think it's real. Ask some real questions. It means a lot that you answered them. It says a lot about not being afraid. I hope that people can learn from that, that let's, let's listen to these questions. Let's have, let's answer those questions, listen to them, ask them. That is part of the whole relationship. This is part of the whole discipleship thing is that you get to bring all of you because yeah. Jesus offered all of him already, right? Yeah. So you do without fear. Yeah. So, well, I, if it's okay, I'd love to invite people who want to hear a little bit more about how this all works. Yes. To, to, to at least come and say hi, you know, at the podcast, the Everyday Disciple Podcast. Um, 
You find it anywhere. You know, it's everywhere podcasts are. Don't listen to it till after you've listened to Amy's new episode. <laughs> and, well, it'll uh, be fine because they'll have to listen all the way to the end to get to that part anyway. Yeah. So it's all good. And, uh, but it, yeah, and there's a few other podcasts that have similar names now, but look for the one with Caesar Kalinowski on Everyday Disciple podcast, the little feet running across the logo. You'll see it. And uh, and also, if you just go to everydaydisciple.com, it's yeah. singular, everydaydisciple.com, there are so many free resources, including that, what are the new measurements of success yeah. for a church? You know, that yeah. 10 benchmarks thing, that's there for free. There's free books to download, all kinds of video, audio, all of it. And the podcast links there as well. But, you know, you can find it on Spotify or your Apple all the places or, yes yeah but but yeah there's so many resources to help live that and every week on the podcast six years now every Monday I was like I was sharing with you yeah we just talk about some topic and say okay then how would the gospel speak to that and how would we live that out in normal everyday life yeah so it's not some big high-flying theological dip into the Greek and Hebrew it's it's like okay parenting or hey what's going on with this cancel culture or how do you have good family dinners and not be weird about it when the kids are melting? You know, like everything. <laughs> and then how would the gospel speak to that? And we could live that out normally and not be weird or freaky about it. That's kind of what we talk about every week. So. I love that. I will link to that in the show notes so people can find that easily. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. And, you know, maybe we can do this again sometime. I would love it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Caesar. I would love to hear your thoughts on your experience with discipleship. If you're on social media, I'd love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter. I also wanted to let you know that I'll be sending out my monthly email at the end of this week. I'll be sharing a Spotify playlist of some of my favorite recent podcasts I've listened to lately and some thoughts on what I've learned in the last month. And as a bonus, thank you to my email friends. When you sign up, you will receive some guided journal prompts that I have found to be helpful. You can sign up by going to untangledfaithpodcast.com and signing up in the box at the bottom of the page. The Untangled Faith Podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.